Uh, just so you kind of know the pathway of where we're heading, this week is what I would call a one-off uh, sermon. Last week we concluded the Gospel of Mark. This week we are focusing on the local church, the body of Christ, North Bullet Christian Church, and Paul's instruction to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4. It's very difficult for me, I have to admit, to start all the way in 4 because there's so much good stuff in the first three chapters. So we're going to hit on that a little bit this morning, and down the road we're definitely getting into Ephesians. God was stirring in my heart as I studied this book this week. He's like, man, we got to preach this one, right? We got to preach Ephesians. So, but next week we are starting our journey through Exodus uh, in the Old Testament. So if you're new to North Bullet, we like to pick out a book of the Bible and go through it as much as possible, verse by verse, and kind of switch back and forth between the New Testament and Old Testament. So we're jumping into the Old Testament and we're going to be in Exodus chapter one next week. So I want to encourage you to read chapter one. Uh, before next Sunday, and then we'll have some discipleship material available for you next weekend as we walk through the book of Exodus through uh, this summer. So this week, though, we examine the importance of the local church and then disseminate how our local expression of the body of Christ is structured to keep our members and attenders connected, growing, and serving. Uh, I think we all would agree this past year has presented obvious and unique challenges to the way that we do church. Uh, the leadership of this church, the elders and deacons of this church, the staff of this church has a deep, deep desire drawn from Scripture to equip our people to grow in Christ-likeness, to be sanctified and obey the Word of God. God has given us an incredible gift in the local church. This church is a gift. And every Bible-believing church throughout Shepherdsville and Bullitt County and Kentucky and the United States and all around the globe is a gift from the Lord. God has given us an incredible body of believers here who love each other deeply. And with this, we need structure in place to aid in bringing people into the life of the church and witnessing their growth along with reinvigorating existing members and attenders into the life of the church. We accomplish this here at North Bullet Christian Church through what we call Connect, Grow, and Serve. And I aim to draw out this structure through the passage before us, Ephesians 4, 1-7. Let's read together. If you look to the screens or look to your Bible, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the word of the Lord. This brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this. The local church is to bring glory to God. That's why the local church exists. It's to bring glory to God. But you may be asking, I don't, Keith, I really don't see that in verses 1 to 7, and you're expositing this text, so where are you drawing that from? Glad you asked that question. Uh, you notice there's a key word that Paul uses in verse 1. It's this word, therefore. He says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord. If you ever see therefore in Scripture, uh, the author is pointing to something that has happened just prior to what he's saying therefore. 
It's a hinge word. It speaks in a way that draws out the the implications of what has just been stated. Paul does this in many of his letters. If you read through uh, Paul's epistles, you'll see oftentimes he begins with uh, information about who God is and what he's done. We call that doctrine and theology. And then he transitions usually with a word like, therefore, and then he gives the implications of that on our life. Because... Here's the reality. Doctrine and theology means absolutely nothing if it doesn't affect the way that you live, if we don't apply the truth to our life. What a concept, right? So Paul begins with doctrine, and true biblical doctrine is only useful if, in fact, you put it to use. Again, our main idea is the local church is to bring Glory to God. Verses, or let's look to chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. This is such, such a beautiful uh, set of verses here. It says, In him we have obtained an, an inheritance. Is an inheritance something you earn or something that's given to you? Something that's handed off to you. An inheritance, hear this, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Man, that sounds really accidental, doesn't it? No. God's in control. He he uses words like predestined and according to the counsel of his will. God knows exactly what is going on. And hear this, I want you to apply this to your life. It's not a mistake that you are here at this church. It's not a mistake that you are a follower of Christ. God is working out his redemptive will. So that, back in the passage, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, I want you to underline this in your notes or your Bible, to the praise of his, what's that word? Glory. To the praise of his glory. Because of our standing in Jesus, church, our position has been changed from one of distance and rebellion against God to one of right standing in God. Did you guys hear what I said there? Apart from Christ, you were distanced from God, but in Christ you are positioned with him. In other places, Paul says that he, that is Jesus, has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Our position has been changed through Jesus in order that we may be able to be to the praise of his glory. That we may point to him. In other words, we have been saved through Jesus to glorify God. That's our purpose in life. The Westminster Confession of Faith captures this well when it asks this question, what is the chief end of man? To which it says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Paul, at the conclusion of chapter 3, Paul, after presenting Jesus and the work of Jesus, launches into this beautiful prayer, which we're going to end with this morning at the end of the sermon. And at the end of this prayer, he says this in in Ephesians 3, 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Because the kingdom of God doesn't stop. It's eternal. And then he says, amen. Or so be it. That's the way it is. I can't help but mention 
that before chapter 4, there were what? Three other chapters, right? Captain Obvious. The opening of Ephesians focuses this way. It focuses on the blessing of the work of Jesus. We see that throughout much of chapter 1. And then the life that we now have through Christ, chapter 2, such a beautiful piece of scripture. We are made alive in Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul says this. He says that, that we were, that is you and I, were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then Paul connects this work to the mystery of the one unified redemptive purpose of God. That there is one people of God. That through his set apart people, all the peoples of earth would be, would be blessed and will be blessed. And Paul is a purveyor of this message to both Jew and Gentile. If you've sat under my preaching for any length of time, you've heard me quote one of my favorite preachers, John Piper. Much of his writing and preaching centers on glorifying God. He succinctly puts it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We bring glory to God when we are satisfied. That means that we, we are happy in the Lord. We are content in the Lord. We are joyful in the Lord. As Paul is set forth in the opening chapters of Ephesians. To this point, our, our satisfaction in the Lord leads us to what we would call transformed living, changed lives. And this is lived out in the life of the local church. Do you see the importance of the local church now? We can't just be solo Christians out on our own. We practice the Christian faith within the context of a local church. Doctrinal and theological understanding of who God is and what he has done has no worth if it does not lead us to the end of glorifying God and being satisfied in him. And then that's not the end of it. This bending out. So if we look vertically, we look vertically at God. Now that is bent out horizontally. What's around us? Look around. Neighbors, right? People. Humans. We're bending these truths out into our horizontal relationships. And so we look to three points from this passage on the role of the local church in this endeavor and the role of the Christian within the local church. Point number one, connect. A church urgently moving towards our calling. A church urgently moving towards our calling. Four one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice first Paul's position in the Lord. He is a what? He is a prisoner for the Lord. I love this image. Apart from the work of Jesus, I want, I want you to hear this. Apart from the work of Jesus, we were a prisoner prisoner of the flesh. We were a prisoner of the deceiver, and, and we were a prisoner of the counterfeit gods of this world, wooing us away. But now through Jesus, we are a prisoner for his purpose. You might be saying, I don't want to be anybody's prisoner. 
The irony is that being a prisoner of the Lord will grant you more freedom than you have ever experienced in your life. Because you are walking in the calling of the Lord. You're doing what you were created for. The mandate that the Lord has placed on his image bearers within his creation, which is to glorify him, to bring glory to God. And so Paul in this letter is, he's an example. He's setting himself as an example. He is urging the local church to live as he lives, fully invested in the work of the Lord, which is made manifest in the life of the local church. You see, Paul is the greatest church planner and missionary that's ever lived. He believed in the importance of the local church in the life of a Christian. It's why all of his writings address either a church or a pastor of a church. He begins this section now, moving past this point, urging. He says, I urge you. Now, I don't think that word captures really what he's... He's not, hey, I hope... I hope you do this. No, urging gives us a sense that he is like, he's pushing them. Walk in your calling, church. I saw a video this morning. Someone shared this video, and the caption was, uh, this is what it's like to be a pastor. And it's a video of a shepherd, and this is an actual video. There's like this ditch in the ground, and this shepherd, you can see the backside of this sheep down in the ditch his hind legs, and he's pulling the sheep out of the ditch. And finally, he, he pulls it out, falls down on the ground, and the, the sheep starts jumping around, and then a little bit further down, it falls back in the ditch. It's kind of like that, life together in the church. Oftentimes, we're, we're pulling people out of the ditch, and then they're back in, and then we move a little bit further down and pull them back out. Urging, pulling, pushing. I'm urging you, church, to walk in the calling of the Lord. Paul is imploring the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, he is saying here, do you, do you remember all that Jesus has done for you? Therefore, he's made the mystery of his will known. He's invaded the hearts of dead people and given them life, forgiving us our sins and seating us with him. He has given us a family in the church to connect and grow and to serve in. Now Paul's saying, now walk in a manner worthy of this calling. In other words, to put it bluntly, like, get on with it. Start working. Move. Put the teachings of Scripture and the the faith of your heart to work. This begins with connecting to a local church. Okay, this isn't the only church. This is a local expression of the body of Christ. But this is a true church, a church that teaches the Bible. Is striving to grow you in your faith. Not tickle your ears, but to challenge you to grow. Discipling you both theologically and practically. And urging you to serve the body of Christ with the spiritual gifts that have been imparted to you. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, he's so personal that he gave you a gift to share with the church. Brings us to our second point, grow. Grow. 
A church marked with spiritual fruit and spiritual growth. A church marked with spiritual fruit and spiritual growth. We must be a church focused on spiritual growth and spiritual fruit. Growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. Okay, but not only that, the application of the Word of God. How does this affect the way that I live? In everyday life, not just for special occasions. Because the Bible, this book here, is, it's rather useless if it's just, if you just view it as words on a page. They're just empty precepts that have no bearing on your life. But if you're hiding this in your heart and it's applying to your, it is transforming your life, that is what God has called you to. So are you Christian just, just a checklist person? Like I wake up, I got my checklist, I wake up in the morning, did my Bible reading plan, check. Did my one and a half minutes of prayer, check. Got in the car, said hi to my neighbor as I ducked into the car real quick as to not have a meaningful conversation with him because I don't want to let him too much into my life, check. My Christian duties are done, so now I can go to the Gene Snyder and do my road rage stuff out there, right? No! No, the gospel should affect your heart. That was a confession of mine, I'm sorry. (laughs) And so there's two ways that the local church should be helping you grow. I'm going to kind of flip this passage around. I want to begin with knowledge, and then we'll end on on spiritual fruit. So we're going to look at uh, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, knowledge. Okay, it's our sub-point under grow, that we grow in knowledge. Okay, we want to know more about the Lord. Paul gives them some truths here in verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is imparting to them knowledge about who God is. Church, you should long to know more about God. Sometimes we we treat our relationship with God like no other relationship. We say, God, I love you, but we don't act in a way that we want to know more about. Can you imagine talking to your wife and saying, I love you, but you have no clue what she likes. You have no clue what she's interested in. You don't even know the color of her eyes. Would that person believe that You love them if you know nothing about them? No. We should grow. We should desire to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. Paul here is declaring truth. He's giving knowledge to his people so that they may grow in Jesus. He's saying something here. Notice this word one, one, one. He's speaking to unity. He's saying something about the unity of the Godhead. You're like, what in the world is the Godhead? What's this word? Our God is three in one. We call this the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. We affirm this truth. And the implications of that unity, that tri-unity, plays out in our everyday life. 
You see, Paul is using this picture of the unity of the Godhead now to practically apply it to life in the church of Ephesus. So this gets us into some of the historical context here. This is a diverse church. It had both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in it. And Paul is giving them the knowledge that God is a unity. Okay? Those two groups might not have got along so well. There may have been some division, some infighting because of their ethnicity or their background. And here Paul is saying, you are one in God. You worship one God, reflect him. Be one. And so growth, Paul is giving them knowledge there that they may practically apply that to their church, that they would be one as God is one. That for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit have existed in perfect harmony harmony and unity. Exercising their perfect plan of redemption. That the church may reflect that, may be a reflection of that unity. That we too are diverse, but we are unified under the banner of Christ. And so we desire to grow in the knowledge of who God is, and what he has done, his character, and his attributes. And then that should lead us to our second sub-point, undergrow. Spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit. Paul lists four of them here. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Now, we gotta, we got to put the pieces of the puzzle here. Remember, we're, we're in verses 2 and 3. So before 2 and 3 comes what? 1 right? Verse 1, Paul is urging the church to live a life worthy of the calling to which they have been called, to which he now goes into verses 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did you hear that word eager? Not just kind of schlubbing along in unity but eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This also is on the heels of chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Ephesians. Paul is inferring, remember all that I have taught you about Jesus. Now because of that, you must be growing spiritually. And the spiritual growth that we experience is made known through now spiritual fruit. A fruit tree is worthless if it's not bearing fruit, right? He lists four here. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And here's the thing. These can only be tested if you are actively growing in the church. In order to practice our faith, we have to be in Christian relationships. We can't just be a solo Christian out there on our own. We have to be involved in the body of Christ, in the life of the church. So get involved. Get involved in the life of the church. If you're a Sunday-only attender... You're not going to experience the full growth that God desires for your life. You're saying, well, you're supposed to say that because you're a pastor. I can tell you, I've experienced it. There's there's some stuff I have gone through in life 
And one of the only reasons I'm standing here is because of the local church. You have to be in community with other Christians as much as possible so that you may practice humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Humility, let's look at that one first. Are you gentle and lowly in spirit? That is the way our Savior is. Are you arrogant and prideful? You'll find out real quick if you hang around the fellowship of believers. Which one of those you are? Are you willing to do the lowly task of serving other people? Jesus washed people's feet. I hate feet. (laughs) Jesus touched a leper. Jesus dined with tax collectors, publicans, and sinners. That is because he's humble in heart. He is humble in heart. Gentleness. Are you marked with a gentle spirit? Do people walk away better off when they've been around you or hurt because of you? You may be thinking, yeah, but Keith, I just tell it how it is. My mom always said being truthful was good. Not if you're tearing people apart. Are you gentle? Be gentle. Patience. Are you patient with other people who are growing at a different pace than you? The body of Christ will test your patience. You will have to grow in patience with each other. Because we're all in a different place in life. We're all different maturity levels. And things that may come easy to me are more difficult for you and vice versa. And so we have to be patient with one another. Are you willing, Christian, to keep putting your hand out there over and over and over again for a brother or a sister who keeps falling to pick them back up? And not to pick them up so you can slap them around, but to give them an embrace in Christ and say, I love you and Jesus loves you and I'm going to keep walking with you through the crud. And with patience, we're also bearing with one another in love. Do you love other people? The church is unique. It's one of the only places in life that many people from various backgrounds, ethnicity, economic statuses, educational experiences, spiritual experiences come together and they worship one true God. You might not choose to hang out together if it wasn't for the church. But God has brought us together. Thank you, Lord. He's brought together this body of Christ to be unified, to be one, and to grow together. He's brought together these widows and babies, married and single, lifelong followers of Christ and skeptics, teachers and students, black and white, male and female. This is going to hit home. Democrats and Republicans, maskers and unmaskers. I don't know if that's a word. 
Vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. Jesus, let's look at, at the disciples of Jesus. Jesus' own disciples were tax collectors and zealots, okay? Two completely ends, uh, different ends of the spectrum. Together, under the banner of who? Jesus Christ. We can get along in the church. And what a beautiful picture it would be. Because I can't think, in my years here on earth, of another time that I have looked across the landscape of the United States and I have seen a nation of people more divided than I do right now. And so what if, what if, church, we were the beacons of unity? That we were something different when people walked through those doors. And there's a lot of diverse, different people in there, but they love each other. They pray for each other. They serve each other. They walk through life together. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Lastly, these are often displayed in service to one another. It brings us to our third point, serve. A church unified in serving one another. A church unified in serving one another. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you read on in this section of scripture, Paul then gives some different offices in the church so that the body of Christ may be equipped and built up. I believe what Paul is talking about here is the imparting of gifting within the church, spiritual gifts, that we have a way that we serve the body of Christ. The Spirit of God has given each and every one of us a measure of grace to serve the church. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul describes the church as a body, right? Think of the human body. Bunch of different parts all tied together with different functions. My hands function different than my feet. My eyes function different than my mouth. But they all work together. But a body only works well when all the different parts do their job, right? When I first came to the church, we had a few members that had uh, some issues with feet and ankles. Like we had a broken foot, broken ankle, uh, foot surgery. And then we had a bunch of people kind of scooting around these little knee scooters. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like right the first few months that I was here. Their foot or ankle wasn't useful to the rest of their body while they recovered, was it? Because it was broken and it was healing or it needed surgery. It had a big cast or a plastic boot on it. Other parts had to compensate for the part that wasn't working. That's why they had the little knee scooter, so they could scoot around while one knee was up. I'm telling you, we should have had drag races in here with those things. Who needs the derby when you can have scooter races, right? The scooter, the scooter was there to compensate for the body part not functioning correctly. And the other parts of the body had to carry out tasks that they were not accustomed to doing. Your one foot that was still functional had to push and pedal you around, and it might have gotten sore and hurt and wore out. 
Sometimes we see that with people with knee injuries and they don't get them fixed and they overcompensate for that with the other one. And then they get this one fixed and then they realize, oh, this one now hurts really bad too. Because the body's not working the way it was designed to. I want you to hear the church. We, we have folks in the church on, on both ends. We have folks that are doing too much because there are some that are not doing enough. There's body parts that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're not utilizing their spiritual gifting. They're compensating for body parts that aren't urgently walking in the manner of their calling. That's what Paul called us to do. So Paul, drawing on instruction that he gives to another church, the, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, he says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, hear this, for the common good, to serve. Then he gives some examples. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Hear this though. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Who, I want you to underline this, apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me unpack this for you. The Holy Spirit, when you came to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has filled you inside and has apportioned to you a gift to share with the body of Christ. That we may be one body functioning and working together to bring glory and honor and praise to one God. We are a diverse body with diverse gifts to glorify God through satisfaction in Him. I urge you, use your gifts to serve the local church. And for that matter, to serve our community. And so we conclude with this point. We bring glory to God by connecting, growing, and serving in the local church. We connect by consistently gathering as a body of believers. This gathering on Sunday, I want to tell you, this is an incredible means of grace that God has given us. I see brothers and sisters that are coming back into the body as they have had to understandably separate away for a season in order to be protected from this virus. And as they come in, there's nothing more special than that first Sunday when they come back and you turn and you look and you see their hands held high, quivering as they sing praise to our Father. There's nothing more spectacular than that. There was something special about Easter when we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, but we saw some resurrections as people came back out of their houses and were able to step back into the life of the church. Don't take that for granted. And so this occurs every Sunday. I'm not going to hit this timer today. I'm sorry. 
I'm turning this thing off. This occurs every Sunday morning as we gather for worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus. He's worthy of our worship. There's nothing else in this world that is worthy of us to worship, and yet we worship so many false gods. God alone is worthy for our worship. He's worthy for us to gather together to sing praises to him, to hear from his word, and to serve and love each other. We grow through knowledge of the word and applying the word of God to the relationships that God has set before us, primarily relationships within the local church. Those should be the first relationships in your life, Christian fellowship. The environments that we have for growth are these. This is going to get real practical. Sunday school. We have Sunday schools available at the 10 o'clock hour. We have Wednesday discipleship, and we have community groups. I want to encourage you to get involved in those areas of ministry as your time permits. Lastly, we serve the local church with spiritual gifts that have been apportioned to each one of us as the Spirit wills. Okay, There's some heaviness to that. God has given this gift to you to serve. Now use it. Can you imagine your, your parent giving you this beautiful gift to play with? And you just let it sit there and rot and you never put it to use. So many of us at times do that with the gift that God has given us. Use this beautiful gift that the Spirit has empowered you with. These include hospitality within the church. Opening your home. Uh, lending. You have an extra vehicle? Some people need vehicles. I've heard of a need this morning. Lend somebody that vehicle that you have, that extra car hospitality. Are you warm and welcoming to people that walk into our church? Are you willing to give up your normal seat? Helping with the church grounds to make sure that as people walk into this place, there's volunteers that help cut the grounds here and cut the grass, make it look beautiful. Doesn't it look beautiful this morning? There's a, a group of folks that come in on, I think, Friday night and clean everything up so you don't have to worry about cleanliness. You can just come in and worship the Lord. Do you see how those people help you worship God? Just by cutting the grass so that you're not driving in and saying, oh, the grass is real long today. No, you drive in and say, man, that grass is beautiful. I'm going to go worship the Lord. Serving on our, our tech and music teams. Who here was blessed by the music that we heard this morning? I was administrative help, and teaching, among many, many, many other things. There's so many things I can't even list them. And so I want you, church, this morning to think and pray about this. Okay, but don't just pray, because a lot of times you say, I'm going to pray about that. And then we don't do anything. Do something. Step up. Serve. Connect. Grow. And serve North Bullet Christian Church. And so this is my prayer for you, church, this morning. Paul gives this beautiful, beautiful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. It's one that I read often. I pray this for you this morning. I pray this for me. And I hope that you will pray this prayer throughout this week. After he has talked about Jesus and the work of Christ through the first three chapters of Ephesians, he says this. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, strengthened with the power, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I want to pause here. We are all saints. Through the work of Christ, we are all saints together. There's not some sort of special set-apart class. We are the saints of the church. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Hear this language. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? That's a big area. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. And Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Church, God has done so much for us. Far more abundantly than anything we deserve. Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. According to the power at work within us. Then he says this, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, Because God's kingdom never ends. It's eternal. It'll never be defeated. Forever and ever. Amen. So be it.